Dreams are a scientific enigma and have eluded a definitive explanation for centuries. Are these nighttime fantasies just random synapses firing, triggering a jumble of memories and images from which the subconscious assembles a narrative? Well, that's one theory. Another theory is that of the collective unconscious, a shared dreamscape. In this controversial theory, dreams do not exist entirely within our minds. They exist in the connection our mind shares with all other sleeping minds. Now, before you dismiss this as merely crackpot fringe science, listen to the story of researcher Dr. Pascal Argento. How influential is Dr. Argento? Well, here are Pascal two of Argento his most was the godfather critics. of modern dream theory. And that is merely a statement of fact. Even those colleagues of mine who don't agree with some of his ideas agree that he was a preeminent thinker and an unparalleled researcher. You've heard the expression, standing on the shoulders of giants? Well, in this field, we are all standing squarely on his shoulders. And his alone. Pascal Argento was a madman, but he was also a genius. People can get hung up on what he was wrong about. But the most important thing was that he got us all asking the right questions. Orphaned at a young age, Argento spent the majority of the 1980s burning through his considerable inheritance and compiling the world's largest, most complete collection of dream analysis and sleep study data. He began to cross-reference dream imagery he believed certain imagery and iconography occurred across cultures. According to his hypothesis, these were rooted in common fears and anxieties shared by all humans regardless of language. What he found was much more sinister than he expected. He found people and places that appeared over and over again. He saw that they could not merely be archetypes of human fears, but they were entities, parasites, that lived in the collective dreamscape and were the root cause of night terrors and bad dreams. He called them the Nightmare People. My name is Mary Ann Simpson, with a special investigation for A Scary Home Companion. drinking whiskey in the kitchen, and telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem, killers, cannibals, and cults, fearful fiction and furious fact, tall tales, and terrible truths. This is a scary home companion. Mythology calls them the Ghastly Ones, a pantheon of murder gods that haunt dreams and drive people to commit horrific acts. They have colorful names like the woman with the split mouth, Festering John, the Skin Weaver, the Surgeon, the Ravenous One, and the Mirror Man. 
names that are easily translated to any language and understood by any society. While fiction calls them ghastly, scientific research has given them another name, the Nightmare People. Dr. Charles Pepperweather is one of the foremost dream analysis researchers in the world today. Dr. Sherry Martell is a world-renowned psychotherapist Over the years that we've been tracking data about dreams and sleep, which isn't long, there has been a great deal of iconography that seems to appear across distance, culture, and language. Clinically, we refer to these recurring figures as nightmare people. There's nothing sinister about it. It certainly does not imply that I or any of my colleagues believe they are real living people. There are some who do. It should be very clear that my views on nightmare people are clinical, not fanciful. The nightmare people represent the most base and commonly held of humanity's fears. The long black veil represents the fear of not being able to help your loved ones. Festering John is the fear of infection and disease. The ravenous ones, the fear of hunger. That the figures share such striking similarities across cultures is simply because the fears themselves are so similar. Although these experts have been challenged and inspired by the research of Pascal Argento, neither of them concur with his views. Argento coined the term the geography of the dreamscape. He firmly believed that humanity shared one collective subconscious, which is where our wandering spirits go when we sleep. This is where the nightmare people live. His oft-disputed theories have the annoying quality of making a lot of sense. While not scientifically provable, his theories have maintained universal support because they are backed up by empirical evidence. I discovered Pascal Argento's work while researching my first episodes of this show, before I had ever even met his brother Andre. The more stories I cover for A Scary Home Companion, the more important his writing has become. After my memorable trip to the Florida coast earlier this year, I realized that to truly understand this story, I needed to go to the source. Dr. Pascal Argento was last seen alive in Florida. He had chartered a private vessel, chasing down a lead on something he called the crossing point. After some time, he was lost in the murky heart of the Devil's Triangle and has not been seen since. He left on an expedition to the legendary island called the End of Days. And who knows, maybe he found it. Andre Argento, a disgrace to his family name, a bloody hack. He would have you believe they are some kind of pantheon of demons. That's his angle and how he makes his money. That doesn't make it true. This is not a linear narrative with a collection of supervillains feeding off the human race. This is the synaptic chaos of dreams, nothing more. Think of it like this. Everywhere that doctors exist, there are people that are afraid of doctors. These people 
or having similar nightmares about an evil doctor does not by any stretch of the imagination mean that the evil doctor is real. The Argentos cite data that spans decades from every country that has ever studied the science of sleep and dreams. This particular character is called the bad doctor, the mean doctor, the surgeon, and sawbones. A dozen languages, a dozen varieties of the same name. Now, it's easy to get excited by the shared subconscious and overlook the fact that this data comes from real people having real nightmares. Such is the case with Brock Barton, who agreed to share his experiences with me. To cry. When he could talk, he would tell me sometimes about his dreams. He had a boogeyman or something who he called the mean doctor. He said the doctor would tie him down on a table and leave the room to go get his tools. He said the doctor wanted to take his eyes. They're just dreams, right? That's what we thought. It all came to a head when Ike was seven. He woke up screaming, like he usually did. And I took my time getting up and walking to his room, but then I found him clutching his face, wailing in pain, screaming. When I finally pulled his hand away from his eye, I saw how badly damaged it was. There was no blood, but the eye itself was white and red, like somehow the iris and pupil had been removed, and blood was filling the eye from within. We saw two doctors. One gave him an eye patch, the other a uh, prescription for some antipsychotic medication. I got him to prescribe something else for the dreams. That was about 15 years ago. Ike still wears an eye patch, still takes meds to quiet his dreams. He's got a wife now, a daughter. Works for the city. It's a good job, good life. But recently, we took a family vacation. Ike had never left Ohio before, and none of us had ever left the country, so we decided to take a cruise from Florida to Bermuda. And once we got there, we had three days to roam the island and, you know, do touristy things. One day, we were eating lunch at an outdoor cafe, and Ike starts staring at a, at a man across the street, an old, an old black man with white hair, must have been a farmer or something, pulling along this long string of goats. Ike raced over to meet him, and kept my distance, but I followed. Ike stood in front of the man, and they looked at each other for just a moment. Ike just grabbed him, hugged him. The man smiled. It was a sad smile. He patted Ike on the back and said, I see the doctor came to you as well. Once we drew near, I saw the man had one normal eye and one that looked like the pupil and iris had been removed. Just like my son. The scientific community dismisses the work of the Argento brothers. But just because they cannot be proven doesn't mean they aren't right. From late 2009 through 2010, Seattle, Washington was terrorized by a serial mutilator who kidnapped women and cut off their hands. The hand collector was eventually identified but has never been captured. It would appear that the hand collector, Martin Rose, disappeared into thin air 
Almost immediately thereafter, data suggested that the hand collector was present in nightmares in Seattle and beyond. Hand collector copycat attacks sprouted up Seattle. not just in the United States, Where but is around Martin the world. Rose? Nationwide manhunt fruitless. Portland. Police suspect handman copycat responsible for recent attacks. Oakland. Severed hands mailed to OPD. But where is the victim? Lexington. Local team dead. Two Texarkana. Bizarre. Local accountant. Hand collector inspired corpse raises the specter of the Richmond is the handman. Had this evil man somehow poisoned the collective subconscious? Had he found a way to haunt the geography of the dreamscape? The obvious answer is that the story made for a sensational headline and that media exposure triggered dreams about the repugnant character. Pascal Argento's vast database makes no mention of a hand collector figure until 2010, after the attacks became widely known. Lyndon Malenko is an anthropologist and former Catholic missionary who spent years traveling to the farthest reaches of the world. He told yeah, me ever a tale heard of that East sounded Timor? oddly Probably not. It's remote, even for Indonesia. Very cut off from the rest of the world. Well, they have a legend there about the Kala Secta, which means devil with no arms. Here's the interesting part. This wasn't a traditional story passed down through generations, which is the local custom. This was a new story, just a few years old. It seemed to us that the story had started right around the time of the hand collector attacks. The locals told us that children had invented the story. It was based on nightmares they had been sharing. I'd say that they heard it about it on TV, but Having lived there, these people didn't hear about anything on TV. How could people so removed from the media have conjured up the same images as those of us familiar with the case? The world is based around Dr. data Martel and the sharing of information. We often have general knowledge of things that we have no specific personal knowledge of. For example, we can remember movies vividly without ever having seen them personally. And this is because we've heard about them for so long. Young children might not have seen the hand collector on TV, but they did hear others speaking of him and absorbed and internalized that information without even realizing it. Theories of how a boogeyman can enter the shared dreamscape are debatable. But there is a psychological basis for that line of thinking. The case of the long black veil is another matter, one for which science has yet to offer a theory. The long black veil is more commonly referred to as the weeping woman, the wailing woman, or la lorna. She is one of humanity's oldest and most enduring dream legends. For as long as people have written about their dreams, there have been mentions and descriptions of this enigmatic woman. She wears a black veil from head to toe. Her face is covered by an impenetrable veil. She begs for help. She cries out in pain or anguish, and she just runs from you. 
no matter how fast you run, you can't quite catch up. Nightmares are torments for our sleeping minds. The long black veil represents a certain kind of torment. Being powerless to help someone who needs you. This is why she is so timeless. As long as people have loved ones, they will fear losing them. The veil preys upon that fear and uses it to torment the dreaming. People prone to bouts of depression have much higher numbers of dreaming about her. In one study I worked on with the Ontario Sleep Clinic, we estimated that as many as one in four suicide attempts had dreams of the long black veil. The Long Black Veil is a legend with pedigree and history, one of the most reported dream figures ever. Around 2005, she seemed to disappear from the dreamscape entirely. Oddly, after thousands of documented dream sightings, she just went away. How is this possible? Did the fear that she represents disappear just as quickly? One plausible explanation is that humans are more self-oriented than ever, and humans are not as disturbed by a stranger in distress. One man has an opinion. Professor Andre Argento is a regular fixture in my interviews. He is considered by some to be the foremost expert on the subject, and by others, a charlatan. When I spoke with him recently, He was on location in Haiti for a research project. Argento had this to say via Skype about the long black veil. Professor, you are considered by some to be one of the world's foremost experts on this mythology. And by others... By others? Yes. (laughs) It's okay to say it, Miss Simpson. By others, I am considered a fraud. A hack, an opportunist. Well, with that in mind, would you please outline your credentials for our listeners? If you insist. I have several college degrees in various subjects. I don't want to bore you. I have 82 published articles in scientific journals, sociological journals, four books published in 23 countries. I have been studying this law, these figures, for some three decades and I have access to the largest collection of dream analysis data ever compiled. Thank you for indulging me. And uh, with that in mind, this data you have access to, I wanted to ask about the long black veil. Ah, fascinating case, is she not? I'm still trying to make sense of it. What does the data tell you? I've personally read hundreds of cases involving this figure. The wailing woman, the black veil, whatever you want to call her. She's always the same, across decades, continents, in 20 different languages. To be more anecdotal, I have heard many, many more cases and stories with no documentation to verify them. It is not a reach to say that this woman has touched the dreams of thousands of people, tens of thousands more likely. Then, in 2005, she was no more. The last reported case was in June of that year, I believe. And why might that be? (laughs) How could anyone know such a thing with any degree of certainty? Uh, Well, do you have any theories? I do. But 
I would like to discuss. The... See, I, I just can't understand how such a strong presence could just vanish. Do you know what Occam's razor is, dear? Yes, the simplest solution is usually the right one. Correct. And with that in mind, since the Wailing Woman is always running, asking for help, then perhaps someone caught up with her? But then, as you know, or you may not know, the long black veil reappeared in 2016. Just as quickly as she had vanished, there suddenly were reports of her being spotted at sleep clinics all around the world. The long black veil had returned. And this was the strangest thing. In nearly every case, this woman said the same word to the dreamer. She said, Jack. As fascinating as that last interview was, I must inform you that I have no supporting data to prove it. I spoke with subject matter experts, but none of them could or would confirm Professor Argento's claim that the long black veil had returned. This investigation, as with so many others, leaves me with questions. Who is Jack? And why did the lady with the long black veil reemerge just to say his name? What does Dr. Argento's research tell us, if anything, if the ghastly ones are fractured reflections of humanity's greatest fears, then they can't just vanish? If the dreams are unconnected, how can they share so many common details? And if, like Dr. Argento suggests, they are real entities, where do they come from? And then where do they go? for listening to another episode of A Scary Home Companion. Please connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and wherever you find your podcasts. Follow, like, share, and leave a review. You can also find us on Patreon if you'd like to support the show. Music came to us this week from Montplacier, I hope I'm saying that right, with their song, Heal Dream. And as always, our theme song was provided by Chelsea Oxendine. Guest voices this week were graciously provided by Buck Rogers, Rebecca Haviland, Vijay Vasudevan, Carl Offenberg, and Dan Jopling. Special thanks to our fearless leader, Nathaniel Arthur Hensley. Thank you for once again letting me take care of your creative baby this week and letting me program the coffee pot the way I want. This episode was expertly produced and edited by Jeff Davidson. Narration by yours truly, Jamie Lee Hensley.